Good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA where my microphone is really, really loud. Is it just me? Is it kind of a little bit loud, maybe a little bit of an echo and I'm kind of starting off slow. I think I'm going to get a little bit higher, so that's probably a good idea. Thank you very much. Good morning to everyone and welcome. It's so great to see so many people. Two or three people told me in just the brief interaction that I had with them since the liturgy to now, two or three people told me this and you tell me, raise your hand, make some noise if you think this statement is true. Today feels like it used to be, doesn't it? Anyone else feel that same thing? Okay, very good. A lot of people said that to me. Today feels like it used to be, which is great, great, great. And that's the perfect lead into what I want to talk about today. Because as I mentioned earlier, I have a very important message that's on my heart. It's been on my heart for a while. And I'm just waiting for the right time to share it. Today is the right time. And I want to start off by sharing a story that changed my life, an interaction that changed my life but let me tell you on the front end of this story that before I get into it, be prepared to be extremely underwhelmed by my story. Be prepared to be extremely underwhelmed by the story of how my life changed. The year was 1997. A young father, Anthony, was in his, just finished his third year of college down at the University of Virginia, and I was back home for the summer. And as I was uh, at that time, okay, before I get into what exactly happened, the little context, for those who know, I've shared this before, is that I wasn't very close to God growing up. I was kind of in church, okay, in body, but that's just pretty much it, okay? And if you've been there before, you know exactly what I mean. It's the greatest time of prayer that I had throughout my week would be on the way to church as I would pray that every light would turn red because everyone that turned red, that was another 30 seconds of sitting that I was able to do on a Sunday morning. That's kind of where my spiritual life was at the time. When I went away to school, that was even a greater excuse to kind of disconnect from church. I didn't really have much in the way of a spiritual life at the time. Summer 1997, things changed a little bit. I started to come back to church, and I'll be honest and explain the reasons why. It's not, it doesn't sound very spiritual. The primary reason that I came to church at the beginning was because my mom was able to arrange for me to get an internship with someone from church. So there's someone who was working with the church, and he had a nice position. He was offering internship, and my mom got him to do a favor for her to hire this nice church boy. So the nice church boy had to come to church, or else he wouldn't be a very nice church boy. So that was the starting point of, I think I need to be at church more this summer because I really wanted that job. And it obviously got me where I am today, so it was, a, it was a good move. Now, when I went there for the purpose of trying to impress the guy who was going to pay me money, I don't know how to say this. There's no way, easy way to say this. I saw a very beautiful girl. <laughs> and I said, I need to spend more time here this summer. <laughs> so the starting point for me in my journey back to church, I'm honest right here, it was money and it was girls. Every priest typical story, right? Like this is how it usually goes. So here I am, I'm coming my way back to church for all the wrong reasons, and I'm kind of like, okay, I'll wade uh, my way into the pool, but I ain't jumping in the deep end. So I'm gonna stick to like the basics of church attendance. I'm not gonna go into the deep end. I'm just gonna like Bible study, okay. Like youth meeting, okay. Like they're playing basketball, okay. Like these are the things that I can do, but I'm not ready to do all the extracurricular stuff and the stuff that requires the extra meetings and things like that. That's just not me. And then one day while I was there on a Friday night or Saturday night or whatever day it was, and we were just hanging out, somebody who I'd spoken to just a couple times, like I knew him, but we didn't know each other very well, came to me, like I was standing right there and he walked across the room and said, hey, you want to come to Michigan with us? And he invited me to go to Michigan. Now you say, well, what's Michigan? Let me give you a little context. Back in the day, the church used to take these retreats and they would go to Michigan on these retreats. And for me, I'm like, again, I'm, 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 on, I'm at the kiddie end of the pool right here. So I'm like happy to be here, but I'm not like the retreats. That's like a whole nother level. That's like overnight. And that's like, I don't even know what they do on retreats, like kumbaya and hug trees. Like, I don't know what they do. So that's not really my thing. And as soon as he said, you want to come to this retreat, my first thought, I was skeptical, and I said, did my mom get to you? Like, is this for my mom? Or like, like I'm, I'm sure this is for my mom somehow. And he started to invite me. 
And I don't know why, to this day, I still don't know. For some reason, I said yes. And especially knowing me, okay, if you know me well, this is the exact opposite of who I am. Because I'm an introvert, a high introvert. I don't like going places with people that I don't know and being part of activities. Like I'm the guy that when I walk in, I need to see the agenda for the event before it even begins. Okay, I know some people are the opposite. Some people like to just jump into it. That's not me. But for some reason, I said yes. And I went to this retreat in Michigan against my nature. And my life changed there. Not because of what happened at the retreat. But what happened at the retreat, or actually what happened after the retreat is what changed my life. When we were at the retreat, I'll just summarize the story real quick. There was a bishop there who was serving as a missionary in Africa, and he was speaking about the mission in Africa. And I had never talked to a bishop or heard from a bishop. I don't know what bishops were. I just know their hats were very tall. So I mean, like, I kept to myself. And he started talking about it. And I remember thinking for the first time, like, this guy, I can relate to this guy. He spoke good English. Like, I can relate to this guy. And then he said, there's a mission trip going the following summer, so summer of 1998, which would have been after I graduated college. And he said, there's a mission trip going. Anyone is welcome to join. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. I said in my head, I'm going to go on that trip. And I didn't know anybody on that trip. There was like 20 people going, and there were some from Toronto and some from Los Angeles and some from New York and some from Florida. And a lot of them knew each other. I didn't know anybody. And again, introvert, this is not my nature. And especially cheap person this is not my nature because i'm going to spend a lot of money to be with people that i don't know this is like everything against what i kind of how, how i operate but i went on that trip and that trip changed my life because that trip without getting into too much detail that's a trip where i got it that's a trip where it clicked that's a trip where all the stuff that the priest said from the stage and the pulpit it made sense in here that's where i got the jesus thing that's where the bible became like oh now i get it that's where prayer became like, oh, now I see why people do this. That's where it all clicked for me. And my life has never been the same ever since then. And follow me here. If I've done anything to help you in your life, if I've benefited you in any way, that I'm telling you that that trip, which was spurred on by a guy who invited me to Michigan, that not only changed my life, but it also changed your life. And if you ever do anything good in your life, then that trip, from that invitation from that one guy, started it all off. Now you're thinking to yourself, who is this guy? This guy must have been a great preacher. This guy who changed the world must have been a great evangelist, must have been a theologian. And I tell you, no. He didn't preach. He didn't open the Bible. He didn't get me to fast. He didn't tell me about the difference between the hypostatic union or the council, the history of the councils of the church. He didn't tell me any of that. He walked across the room. He had a two-minute conversation where he invited me to a state I'd never been to before, and the rest is history. And the best part is, is that to this day, he has no idea about the effect of that conversation. I think I've talked to that person probably three times in the however many years it's been since that one day, but he changed my life. Our subject today, what I want to talk about, is what I think is one of the most important parts of the church but especially here at STSA. And it's the one thing, this past couple years of COVID, a lot of things suffered. A lot of things suffered. But thanks be to God, we were able to pick ourselves back up and everything is running back the way it used to be. Okay, we're able to worship the way we used to. The sacraments are functioning the way they used to. We're able to do fellowship. Okay, it looks a little bit different, but we're able to do it. We're out there in the community, we're doing service. The coffee is back being inside. So like life is good. Everything, 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 you would say is back, but there's one area. There's one area that hasn't come back yet. There's one area that suffered the most during COVID and I say enough is enough. Now's the time to bring it back. And that is our core value, our ninth core value here at STSA, which is a personal call to evangelism. Read this together with me, all together. We believe that the call to evangelism and witnessing applies to us just as much as it did to the apostles in the early church. God will hold me accountable to its completion. Those are some big words. And if you're a member here at STSA, this is us. This is our core value. That evangelism is not a nice to have. It's not like, hey, extra credit, like do the Bible thing, do the prayer thing. And then if you get a chance every now and then, do the evangelism thing. No, 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 no. It was a clear command given to the apostles. And if we are their successors and we are the, an apostolic church, then it's a command given to us. Meaning, if St. Peter said, no thank you, 
to the call to evangelism, God would have held him accountable. If St. John would have said, not my cup of tea, then God would have held him accountable. If St. Paul would have said, I love Christianity, but I don't really want to preach it. I just kind of want to keep it to myself. God would have held him accountable. And what I'm saying is the same applies to you and you and you and you and you and every single one of us and me. God will hold us accountable to its completion. Now, as soon as I say evangelism, everyone has in their mind a picture of what evangelism is. And unfortunately, usually it's a weird picture. Evangelism is the guy with the megaphone on the corner saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Okay, and you're all going to suffer eternal hell if you don't repent. Some of us think that's evangelism. Some, some of us think evangelism is seminars and theologians, the people with glasses who walk over slumped like that. Some of us think evangelism is, you know, handing out tracts and just hugging random people just for the sake of. I'm going to tell you evangelism. I care less about the methodology because I believe there's different methodologies. I care more about the purpose. And here's how I define evangelism for us. Evangelism isn't bringing others to Christ. It's bringing Christ to others. Evangelism isn't bringing others to Christ. It's bringing Christ to others. In other words, evangelism doesn't mean you. I'm going to baptize you whether you like it or not. Like I'm going to find a way. And everyone go to their neighbor and you bribe them. You do whatever it takes. You're going to bring them to Christ. That's not evangelism because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus, think about it. Did Jesus bring everyone to Jesus? No. But did Jesus bring Jesus to everyone? Yes. And that's our job. Said another way, I'll give you a fancy word. That means evangelism is incarnational. Incarnation means what? Incarnation means God takes flesh. Means God who exists above and who the heavens cannot contain became incarnate in a tangible, touchable way in front of people. People could touch him. People could hear him. People could, could interact with him right in front of them. Right in front of them. That's what incarnate means. That's our job as evangelism. That's our job. Your job is not to bring everyone you know to Christ. But your job, listen carefully, is to bring Christ to everyone you know. You're playing basketball with the guys. You're not, I'm not saying bring them all to Christ, but I'm saying bring Christ to every single person on that court. You're in the office and you say, this office is a horrible place. Everyone around here backstabbing, everyone around here talking bad about each other. And I'm saying your job is not to bring them all to Christ, but your job is to bring Christ to every single one of them. That's what incarnational means. It means that God is to take flesh in the lives of people through me and through you and through our interaction with them. Because of that, it's not a one-size-fits-all methodology. Like, let's just look in the Bible. Let's see the people who were great evangelists, and let's see if they all had the same methodology. St. Paul was a great evangelist. What would you say his methodology was? How would you describe it? How did he preach? How did he win people? I would say he was an intellectual style. That was kind of his way. St. Paul was like a lawyer. St. Paul would come into the synagogue, greet everyone, and he would start asking questions. And he would build a case as to Peter was kind of the point. You should repent. Okay. Be thanks to him, including the least of these. She was the verse, even a cup of cold water in my name. Every single person, his job is to be an evangelist, but it can look different. Like my friend who invited me to Michigan. He didn't preach. He didn't serve. He didn't intellectual. He didn't confront me. He didn't do anything. He simply invited me to Michigan. I want us to be less focused on the results and more focused on the process. Again, Jesus himself did not bring everyone to Christ. When Jesus died and he was buried in a tomb, how many people on this earth were followers of Christ? Very few. Even his own followers actually fled from him. So if you look at it, how many people did he bring to Christ? You'd say his mixed results. But how many people did he bring? Of course, he is Christ. So we say how many, he brought God to how many people? And the answer is every single person, and that's our job. St. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 22. Very important passage when it comes to what is evangelism witnessing. He says, to the Jews, this go, there we go. To the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become, say this with me, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. All things to all men. That's what it means to be an evangelist. All things to all men. That means, you know what? If you're working with Jews, you do the Jewish thing, and that's how you do evangelism. And you're working with the non-Jews, so you be the non-Jew. And you're with the weak, you're with the strong, you're with those under the law, you're with those over the law. Like, it doesn't matter. We don't have to look the same. I'm not here to tell you we all have to do the same thing. But what I'm telling you is we all have to bring Christ. 
to every single person we meet because that is our calling and God will hold us accountable to it. Let me say it slightly another way. Get rid of the idea that being an evangelist, think of it like playing a sport. Get rid of the idea that being an evangelist requires some level of expertise or some level of genetic capability that you don't have. Playing a sport, let's say you wanna play basketball or you wanna play soccer, doesn't require a certain genetic makeup to be able to play basketball or soccer at some level? The answer is no. Yeah, some people naturally are gifted to be better at it. Some people have the genetics, obviously they're taller, they're shorter, they're quicker, whatever it may be. Some people naturally be better than others, but anybody, here's a ball, young man, bounce it a couple times, you're playing basketball. Here's a soccer ball, do like this, you're playing soccer. Like it's not as complicated as we make it. If you're willing to listen to what the coach is telling you to do, and we're gonna come back to that statement. If you're willing to have a good coach and the coach says, just kick the ball, now you're playing soccer. If you're willing to listen to what the coach is telling you to do, you can be a soccer player, you can be a basketball player. And I say the same is true for evangelism. That's why I say the key for evangelism is not gifting and is, 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 is your preparation as much as evangelism requires staying in tune with the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Staying in tune with the promptings of the Holy Spirit means being willing to listen and obey when the Holy Spirit speaks. And if the Holy Spirit says something, you do it, that's what makes you an evangelist. That was my friend. My friend was not trained. My friend was not gifted in a specific way. My friend heard a voice in his ear saying, go invite that funny boy to Michigan. He obeyed and that's what made him great. <clears throat> I say, my mic, it's okay. I say promptings of the Holy Spirit. I noticed that today, for some reason, we have a disconnected view of the Holy Trinity. We know in theory, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one. Three are one and one three. We say that stuff all the time. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. We realize that the, tr the Trinity is one God and the Father is not greater than the Son is not greater than the Spirit. All three are one. We know that. But somehow when it's practical speaking, we have a disconnected view and we say things or think things like the followers. Be honest, you've all thought this. It would be great if we were around when Jesus was around. Like it would be great if like Jesus was sitting right there and we knew exactly what Jesus wanted. Like that would be great if Jesus was like, take this job, no, go over here. Like it would be great if we were there when Jesus was there. And I get it. I get it why, why you would think that. But that's an incorrect statement. Because Jesus, who's a little bit smarter than you, said, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. He said that. Like his disciples, who he was everything for them. Like all the disciples had was Jesus. He was their income. He was their, their food supply. He was their purpose in life. He was everything. And he said, it's better for you that I go. And you say, no, it's better for you to stay. No, because if I go, I will send you the helper and the helper will be inside you. So now you don't need to look for me. You don't need to wonder where is he? Is he at the top of a mountain? Is he over there in that city? You don't need to wonder because I'm with you everywhere you go. I'm not, in other words, Jesus is saying is I'm not leaving. I'm just gonna be with you in a slightly different way. So let me say it this way. We today are disciples of God in the same way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were disciples in the same way that we are disciples. The only difference is who the master is. Their master was Jesus and he was sat right there in the flesh. Our master is the Holy Spirit and he lives right there. And he lives inside each and he lives right there, right there, right there, right there, right there, right there, right there. So it's the same principle of discipleship. Only difference is who's the one giving the commands. And for us, we need to have the same relationship with the Holy Spirit that they had with Jesus. And I realize that's a little bit intangible, hard to understand. I'm gonna show you some verses from the book of Acts. I'm not trying to show, tell you the story of each one of these, but I want you to see how the Holy Spirit to the church was the exact same as Jesus. Jesus would say, go here, go there, and they obeyed. Watch how the early church spoke about the Holy Spirit, and you can easily substitute Jesus in the place of the Holy Spirit in these verses. Acts 13, 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. You could easily see that as being Jesus. Jesus said, separate those two over there, you two go over there, you two go over there. Same discipleship, different master. 
Acts 13, 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, that could, again, that could easily be sent out by Jesus. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, from there sailed to Cyprus. Acts 18, 5. When Silas and Paul, I'm sorry, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Paul went from here to there, and Silas went from here to there, and they said, the Holy Spirit said, I gotta do this. It's exactly like you could say Jesus said that. Acts 11. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Do you see how the Spirit is active and is, is, is guiding and is telling them, go here, don't go there, say this, don't say this. One more. Acts 16, 6. Now when they had gone through, the, through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. It's the same discipleship. It's the same obedience. The only difference is who's giving the commands. And for us, me and you, we don't just look to the Bible and say, we're going to obey whatever's in the Bible and God's going to guide us through there. Yes, we obey whatever Jesus tells us in the Bible, but we have more. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the Holy Spirit inside of us, the same way in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit said, go there, don't go there. Speak this, don't speak this. The Holy Spirit, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. Every single day, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you're in the office. We don't go to the office anymore, but you're in a Zoom chat. You're somewhere in life, okay? You're, you're in a grocery store. You're in a restaurant. You're, you're, you're at the gym. You're wherever. You're in church. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit sometimes is nudging you, saying, go say something. Go say something. And you're going to say, I need a Bible verse to tell me what to do. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't need a Bible verse to tell you what to do. You need the Holy Spirit inside you. When the Holy Spirit speaks... You would never, ever think that Jesus said this and you said no. You would never think that. Well, I'm telling you, same discipleship, new master. Let me show you what this looks like practically. I got an email about a week or two ago from a member of our church family who invited a coworker to attend church. And this person was telling me about it and you know, telling me they invited this person and they were kind of telling me the story. And I'm just going to read to you exactly what this person wrote in the email. Okay, well, exactly what this person wrote right here. And said, this is a coworker who I have absolutely nothing in common with and I've only met in person once. I've never before had the slightest inclination to tell someone to go to church with me, especially someone who doesn't go to any church or have any relationship with God to begin with. So you see how she starts? She starts off by saying, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not one of those freakos who go around telling everyone invite, go to church and go to church. I ain't that person. And I'm in front of a person right now who I only met once because she was saying she worked with this person, but Zoom, you don't meet anyone. You just, their names in the sky, okay? So she was saying, and this person doesn't even go to church. Like maybe someone who like talks about church, okay? But this person who doesn't go to church, doesn't believe in God, and somehow she invited them to go to church without any skill. Look what she says in the next, here's the key sentence. She said, I don't know, but that still small voice but that still small voice in my heart told me I really had to. That still small voice in my heart told me I really had to, and I still thought he would flatly say no. Instead, he seemed weirdly enthusiastic. He seemed weirdly enthusiastic. I wonder what God has planned. Also, I promised to buy him lunch. Maybe it's that. But anyway, forget about the lunch piece of it, okay? <laughs> but hey, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, all things to all men. To the hungry, I became a lunch provider. Like, whatever it is. Whatever it is. But do you see my point? Is that here's a person who knows that God the Father is not disconnected from God the Son, who's not disconnected from God the Holy Spirit. So when that little voice inside me says, you should invite, that you should invite this person, and you should tell them, and, and then you say, it's weird, and it's not me, and it's awkward, and I don't know them. You have a master. You're a disciple. Your job is to say, yes, sir. And that's what she did. That's what it means to be evangelist. That's what it looks like. It's not bringing, Christ, bringing others to Christ. It's bringing Christ to others. I want to look at a passage now from Scripture. It's a long story. I'm going to read it quickly. You can read the, all the details when you go home. But it's a, one of my favorite stories that talks about who was the first evangelist. Let's go trivia. First evangelist in the Bible who went out and preached to a non-Jewish person, to a, to a Gentile person. Who was it? Okay, so Samaritan woman, sort of, but Samaritan woman is kind of like before Christ had died. So 
She was, I'm talking about in the book of Acts, like after the resurrection. Philip, very good. Acts chapter 8 is a great story of a guy named Philip who preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. And I know we had a lot of people here who hail from Ethiopia. You should care very much about this story because part of your story is Philip and what he does here in Acts chapter 8. We'll pick up the story here in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Pause right here. I see this story about Philip preaching and doing miracles. So I ask myself, who is Philip? Philip's job was a deacon. And a deacon at the time, okay, they were chosen in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 6, I'm sorry, for the task of serving the widow's tables. So Philip was not chosen because he was a preacher. He was chosen because the tables are dirty. We need someone to clean them. And they chose seven men to do that job. You see that, ladies? It was the man's job to clean the table in the beginning. So don't no one say that the Bible is, not, don't, okay? It was the men's job to clean the table. So you take that one home and you hang it in your kitchen, ladies, okay? They chose seven men of whom Philip was one. Wasn't a preacher, wasn't a theologian, wasn't anything. He just cleaned the tables. But somehow it says, as he cleaned the tables, he preached, and it says miracles, he did miracles. So I'm thinking to myself, what kind of miracle you do while you're cleaning tables? Like he really wiped up that tomato sauce. Like, well, what did he do? Like, how, how, what, what kind of miracle can you do as you're serving tables? Next verse tells us, verse seven. It says, unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. Oh my goodness, Philip, you're incredible. While you're cleaning the tables, you're casting out demons, you're healing the sick, the paralyzed are like, oh my goodness, like you're incredible. And it says there was great joy in that city. So I'm thinking to myself, if you right now, organizational chart right now, the org chart, Philip is doing a great job here in this place that he's, he's working. So you say, keep this thing going. Leave everything exactly as is Philip. Or you know what? I would take Philip and potentially promote him. Where would he promote him to? Like, let's get away from Samaria. That place is boring. Let's go to like a metropolitan place. Like, let's go to Rome. Or you know what? Like, let's go to some place that's like high visibility. He's faithful and least. He's made ruler over much. He should be promoted up the corporate ladder, right? Watch what happens here. Verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Philip was promoted to a road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And that road is described as desert. Doesn't sound like New York City to me. Philip, who's doing miracles while serving tables, preaching the gospel, is now told, you're going to go, there's an expression that we used to, my mom used to say, okay, behind the sun. Have you heard this expression before? Okay, you're going to get sent behind the sun. It means where the sun don't shine no more. That's where Philip gets sent. And if I'm Philip, I'm like, uh, hello, that's not, a good, that's not a good place for me. You don't see my talents and my gifts? No, I should be over there. Or I should be over there. Or I should start like some kind of internet ministry. Like, like I should be promoted up. Not like, like why would you put me in this, in this place? But that's not how Philip thinks. That's not how an evangelist thinks. The Holy Spirit says, arise and go. So Philip, verse 27, he arose and goed, okay, and went. The master said, arise and go. He arose and went. I'll read the rest of it in a second, but before I get to it, he didn't pray about it. He didn't fast. He didn't ask his spiritual father. He didn't do like the three pieces of paper and put it on the altar and have the, he didn't do any of that stuff. The spirit said, go, he went. That's evangelism. Keeps going. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge over all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. He goes, he finds this guy who happens to be reading Isaiah the prophet. And we're gonna go through this next verses quickly here, but you can read, like I said, when you go home, what you're gonna discover is when the Holy Spirit says, arise and go, he knows what he's doing because he ends up finding a very influential person. This Ethiopian eunuch, as we'll see in a little bit, was a very influential person. And he just happened, just happened to be reading Isaiah the prophet. And who knew that? 
Nobody would have known that except the Holy Spirit who sees all and knows all. And he's like, right now, the ground is perfect. So Philip, you go and just, and Philip does. Verse 29 says, and the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? And again, I just, I'm just going to pause right here, then I'll keep going the story. Like, what are the odds? What are the odds? What are the odds that he happens to be reading the prophecy that is so specific to the suffering servant of Christ? Like, let's say he had been reading the so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. Like, the moment wouldn't have been the same. If it was just one of those kind of moments and such and such city destroyed, like, it wouldn't have been the same. But do you see how the Holy Spirit's working? The Holy Spirit who sees all and knows all. So Philip, while you're over there, I need you to go over there. Why would I go over there? And what's going to be the fruit? And that guy's heard the gospel before, and it's not going to be good use of my time. Just listen to me. I know what he's reading. I know what he's thinking. I know the skills that you have. Just go. Just go. Verse 35. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Again, you know what I love that Philip didn't do when the guy asked him? What would you do? Someone came to you and said, uh, this verse, what does this mean? What would you do? What would you, uh, hey, I, I'm not a preacher here. You know what I mean? Uh, go ask some expert. Or, you know, there's someone on, on YouTube that you should listen to. Or you should, is that what you do? Like, we complicate things. He's not asking about brain surgery right here. He's not asking about rocket science. He's talking about Jesus. Don't complicate it. Philip opened his mouth and said what he knew. There's things Philip knew, things Philip didn't know. So Philip said, look, I'm not an expert, but this is what I know. He went out there. He wasn't afraid. He did the best that he could. Verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord cut Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Tradition says that this Ethiopian eunuch is who brought Christianity to the land of Ethiopia. And those, like I said, who are from Ethiopia, okay, are descended from, from the Ethiopian church in some way. You have this man to thank. You actually have Philip to thank. I think to myself, this Ethiopian eunuch, whose life was changed here 20 years down the road and say, hey, tell me the story of how you came to Christ. What do you think he'd say? He'd say, oh, you know, I was on the road one day and there was this guy, I don't remember his name, was like Phil or Bill or Will. I don't remember what his name was because he just showed up, like just dropped from the sky. And then all of a sudden, I just happened to be reading this passage and like he happened to know exactly that passage and he baptized me. And then when I went to congratulate him, he was gone. He disappeared. It was like, beam me up, Scotty. Like, boom, he's no more. And then I think he'd say, I owe everything in my life to that man. I owe everything in my life to that man. And my kids, and my grandkids, and my grandkids' grandkids owe everything in life to that man. Now, here's the part. I'm not saying this to judge anyone. This is not a judging. This is just opening my heart. Is there anyone who would say that about you? Is there anyone who would say that about you? Who would say, I owe everything to this person. Because they're the reason that I know God. They're the reason that I am where I am. They're the reason that my marriage got saved. They're the reason. Because you know what? They didn't save anything. But they invited me to that place. And being part of that place, what's it called? S-T-S something, A, I, whatever that place. That place changed my life. That place freed me from the addiction. That place helped me overcome my anxiety. That place changed my life. And they invited me. So you know what? I am who I am because of that person. Is anyone who would say that about you? And let's go even bigger. You know me, I like to think big. I like to think big. I like to think of when I die. 
But not when I die here. I don't care what's going to happen here. I care what's going to happen up there. And you and I, when we hear about heaven, heaven is always referred to as a party, a celebration. That's what heaven is. Heaven is not miserable and just boring and the clouds jumping from one to the other. Heaven is a celebration. And I picture myself, okay, never been to heaven, so probably not accurate, but just this is how I think. I picture myself when you walk into heaven, okay, again, I'm kind of the introvert. I'm kind of, you know, when you go into a party and you don't really know anyone, kind of like, you know, hey, like you pretend. So that's how I feel like I'm going to walk into heaven, like kind of awkward, like I don't really know. And then I feel like I'm going to walk in and then someone's going to be like, hey, you're here. And I'll be like, you know, I beg your pardon. Like, have we met before? And that person's going to say to me, I'm here because of you. And I'm saying, I don't, I don't know you, sir. I never met you, sir. I say, but yeah, but I'm here because of you. Because I came to your church one day. Someone invited me to your church, and you preached a message about whatever. Or you welcomed me, and I looked like a weirdo in church, and everyone else was judging me, and you hugged me. Or I was the guy on the street that, you know, gave you uh, whatever, a hard time about whatever, and I was, you know, judging you, and I said this rude thing, and you responded with a smile. Is anybody going to say that about you? If you want someone to say that about you, let me give you three things, very practical. Very practical, three small practical things that you can begin doing and we will begin doing as a church family today to make this happen. Real quick, number one, practice stepping into the discomfort zone. Practice stepping into the discomfort zone. I could have said stepping out of your comfort zone, but I hear stepping out of comfort zone all the time and it means nothing. It just basically means like, you know, like I, I stepped out of my comfort zone and that I woke up five minutes early. Like, uh, no, step into discomfort, meaning that when you are in a situation and the Holy Spirit is telling you step into something that is uncomfortable, that you're not good at, that you don't want to do, practice being uncomfortable. I have bad news for you. The longer you have been in church, research says, the longer you have been in church, the less likely you are to invite someone to come with you to church. Seems counterintuitive. It seems like, no, the person who's been here the longest, the most spiritually mature, that's the one who's inviting. And I'm telling you, it's the exact opposite. And I think it's because, exactly this point, the person who is coming on the, fir the first day you come, you already are welcome, like you are able to feel the discomfort because you're just coming from that environment. But the longer we stay in here, the more we're like, Ooh, it's cold out there. Ooh, I don't know those people. I don't like the look of those young people. Like the more likely we are to just kind of stick to our own and just kind of make it all about us. And what I'm saying is we need to fulfill our calling and our calling is not comfortable. Jesus is not coming to say, I've come to make you comfortable. The goal is not comfortable and easy. The goal is obedience, and sometimes that requires stepping into discomfort. Number two, actively listen for and seek out the Spirit's promptings. Actively listen for and seek out the Spirit's promptings. Now, follow me on this one. If you can get this, this will relieve all the pressure of evangelism from you. From you. This will relieve all the pressure because some of us build up this pressure of like, how am I going to preach? How am I going to reach the gospel, reach these people with the gospel? How am I going to bring them to church? I need to think of creative ways. I need to be prepared. I need to study. I need this. Get rid of all that pressure. You don't need to do any of that stuff. You simply need to listen and obey. Listen to what he tells you to do and obey what it is that he is asking you to do. Sometimes it's to speak. Sometimes it's to be silent. Sometimes it's to walk. Sometimes it's to sit. All we need to do is seek out and listen. Example. Before I tell you this example, let me ask a question and see how many normal people we have in this room. What do you do when you walk into a room? I kind of gave away the answer a little bit ago what I would do. If you were to walk into a room and there's like 100 people, 200 people, and you don't know any of them, what do you do in that situation? I discovered that there's normal people and non-normal people. The normal people the normal people quietly walk in, stay to the side, don't do their best to not disrupt anything because this is a very stressful experience for most normal people. Then I feel like there's some people out there, you may be one of them, 
this is not a stressful experience for you. This is fun. <laughs> this is exciting. For you, a stranger is not a stranger. It's just a friend who doesn't know they're my friend yet. <laughs> we love you, we think you need therapy, but that's fine. As a normal person, my, every fiber in my body, when I go in this situation, wants to hide in the corner. But sometimes, what I discovered, oftentimes, God tells me to do the exact opposite. This is probably like two months ago, something like that. My daughter started a new school. She's in high school now. She started a new high school. And they were having this event on a Saturday night for like the parents to get to know one another. <laughs> so this has like Marianne written all over it. I don't usually go to these events, okay? Because like, I don't go to these events, okay? But Marianne, for some reason, couldn't be there. So she needed me to go. I didn't want to go because A, I don't want to go. B, it's a Saturday night. Saturday nights for priests. Like, you know that like you have this big presentation where you have to give at work and you like for like a week in advance, like get a good night's sleep. That's me every Saturday, okay? So every Saturday I have like a big presentation to give on Sunday morning. So I don't need to be going out to social events on a Saturday night, especially without my wife. But apparently if we didn't go, our daughter would be ostracized for the rest of her eternity because her parents didn't show up at this social event. So for the love of my daughter, I had to show up at this event. I showed up, it was in somebody's backyard. There was like 200 people in that backyard. I knew nobody. And Marianne wasn't there. Every fiber in my being wanted to just go like this, go, oh, excuse me, <laughs> and just walk back to my car. But inside I felt God saying, no, I want you to be here. And note, I'm missing church. We have church service on Saturday night. So actually, I'm missing church. So I had every excuse to leave, but I knew God wanted me to be there. I'm super awkward. I'm just like, I'm the I'm super awkward. Some guy comes over to me. Either it was A, a pity conversation, or B, a security conversation. Okay, I don't know which one of the two it was. But he came over and started talking to me. Either he had mercy on me, he saw like I didn't fit, or he was just like, you know, who's the new guy who's dressed, you know, like that, okay? Either way, I had like a two-minute conversation with some guy. He checked me out. He let me go. This gave me a little bit of confidence. And then all of a sudden, I said, I know God wants me to be here. And then I made contact, eye contact with another couple who looked just as awkward and uncomfortable as I was feeling on the inside. So I went over and said hello to them. And I went over there and had a discussion. And I discovered that one of them was Ethiopian, okay? And I said, oh you know, are you Orthodox? And then, you know, when someone was like raised Orthodox and left the church, it's that awkward, like, yeah. And I'm like, I get it. That's fine. Like, you know, no problem. Like, I'm not here to judge. I'm just, you know. So she's Ethiopian. He's not. They were married. And I said, do you go to church? Someone like that. And we had a nice, friendly conversation. They don't go to church, but they're looking for a church. And I'm like, you're in luck. <laughs> That's like what I do. And I'm having this nice conversation. And of course, I invite them to church. Five minutes later, my wife walks in. So as my wife walks in, and I'm with this couple, she goes straight up and she's like, hey, you know, Jill, I don't know what the lady's name was. Lo and behold, they went to college together and they knew each other. And then Marianne, see, I'm nice, like you should come to church. Marianne's like, no, you need to come to church this Sunday and you need to be here this time. And we invited them to church and they haven't come. <laughs> but I wanted specifically to tell you a story of that, okay, because what I want to say is this. I don't care whether they come or not. Of course I care, like I want them to come. But my point is, my job is not to bring them to Christ. My job is what? To bring Christ to them. And that's why the third practical step is we need to be willing to be the next link in the chain. Be the next link in the chain. Be the next link in the chain. Did you know that every single person has a certain number of links in the chain? I told you the story about the guy who invited me to Michigan. Don't think that he's the only reason. There's a chain of conversations, 
a chain of events that need to take place. And let's just put a number to it. Let's say there needs to be 175 conversations. And God knows that 174 people asked me and invited me to events before. And I was so rude to many of them. And I blew them off. And I didn't have anything to do with them. But number 38 did his job. So then 39 could do their job. And then 40 and then 41. And my question to you is, are you willing to just be number 73? in a link and a chain of 178. Are you willing just to do your job? Because if you don't do your job, the next person can't do their job. And it all builds on each other. All we need to do, don't baptize them. Please don't baptize them. Don't cast out demons. Okay, don't send them to the monastery. Just be the next link. Just be the next link. St. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter three. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Saying it's like farming. You may not be the one to bring the fruit, but the guy, the fruit needs the person, the water. It needs the person to break up the soil. It needs the person to plant the seed. I think I did those in the wrong order, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, are you willing just to be the guy who breaks up the rough soil? You didn't bring any fruit but you made it so the other guy could plant. And you can, are you willing to be the planter? And then the other guy's gonna water and the other guy's gonna fertilize. And then some schmuck shows up at the end and brings forth the fruit, but come on, it's not him. It's a chain. Are you willing to be the next link in the chain? Because the bottom line, <clears throat> if it is done out of love for God, if it is done out of obedience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, it will never be a failure. Whether they come to church or don't come to church, whether they ever repent or don't repent. If it's done out of love for God, there is a reward. The reason I'm preaching this message today is because next week we're doing something we haven't done in a long time. And that's called Friends and Family Day. And Friends and Family Day, for those who remember in the prehistoric times before COVID, we used to do Friends and Family Day three, four times a year. And Friends and Family Day is very simple. This is our way of practicing a personal call to evangelism. We're making it easy for you. And we're saying on this particular Sunday, okay, and again, we do it throughout the year. We haven't done it throughout COVID. Well, on this particular Sunday, every single person, your job is to pray, to step out of your comfort zone and to pray and seek out the Spirit's promptings and be willing to invite someone to church, at least one person. I don't care if they come or not. Like you may invite 10 people and none of them show up and someone else didn't invite someone and then someone invited themselves to. It's not about the results, but it's about me being willing to take a step into the discomfort zone to pray and seek out, God, is there anyone in my life that you want me to invite? Anyone you want me to approach? And then just simply taking the next step and being the next link in the chain. We're starting a series next week. It's called Relationship Hacks. We're doing this series because this is the easiest series on the planet to invite someone to. Someone who may not care about the Bible, someone not care about the church, but I promise you, if they've been alive these past two years, they would love, love, love to hear a series about how to improve their relationships. And especially what we're going to talk about is about how I, I mentioned this earlier when I, when I announced it after the liturgy, is starting relationships is easy. Everyone knows how to do that, but where we struggle is fixing them. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to be relationship mechanics next week. We're going to talk about how anyone can buy a new car, anyone can start a new relationship, anyone can do anything like that. But what happens when there's some problems in it? We're going to talk about it every single week for five weeks. And it's the easiest thing to invite people to. Now here's, I'm even making it even easier for you. In case you're still, this is awkward, you do the following. You go to this person that God put on your heart and you say, a priest in my church, he's a difficult man. He's a very difficult man. He said he's not going to let me in the doors unless I invite someone to come with me to church on Sunday. So for my sake, get him off my back. You want to come with me to church. And maybe the, the lunch thing works out for you. That's kind of on you. There ain't no budget for that in my household. But if that's on you. But at least give God a chance. Because like my friend who invited me to Michigan, you never know the results. You never know the results. You never know the results. Can we read this together one last time? Personal call to evangelism, STSA family. It means what? What is it that we believe? We believe that the call to evangelism and witnessing applies to us just as much as it did to the apostles in the early church. God will hold me accountable to its completion. Look, it's been a tough couple of years for a lot of people. It's been a tough couple of years for a lot of people. And I'm not just talking about physically. 
Of course, there's been a lot of physical suffering, but I see a much greater suffering, and that is the emotional and spiritual suffering that I see running rampant across people today. And I'm telling you, the stuff I see, like so many people before the pandemic struggled with fear and anxiety. So many people did. And it was just like something that people struggle with and we work on it, but it's, it's God does not want us to live in fear. What this pandemic did, what this pandemic did is it multiplied that. And I'm telling you, I visit, I'm not judging, but I'm telling you, I visit families. Okay, I see kids. Okay, we were visiting a family, a kid probably four, five, six, eight, something like that who like, I went down just to say hello to him. He was scared and he said, am I gonna get COVID? Like he was asking his mom, like, is it okay to say hi to this man? Am I gonna get COVID? And I'm talking about that poor little kid. Like we're at the point where we're almost gonna do irreversible damage. Okay, what we do to our children. I, I, I know people, and again, I'm not judging. Please, if you're watching this, I'm not judging you, but I'm telling you, it's not healthy. I know people who haven't left the home for three or four weeks now because they're just so scared. And I'm telling you, that's not gonna fix itself. That's not gonna fix itself. Fear is never the answer. Fear is never how God wants us to live. And I'm telling you, what we have here in the church is exactly what people out there need, which is a chance to live free from the enslavement of fear and anxiety and stress. And I'm saying enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. It's time for us to bring back evangelism because here we have what people need. People need less news. People need less media. People need more word of God. People need less things that fill with fear. People need more things that fill with faith. People need less isolation from one another. People need more fellowship with one another. People need less life alone and more life as part of the greatest family ever. And you may be the link to help someone find it. So I hope you'll do your job this week and say a prayer and seek out who God may be calling you to invite to church and we'll give God a chance to do something great. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for inviting us to be part of your eternal family and giving us a chance to be here now. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be faithful in this personal call to evangelism, to seek out your voice and to obey, even if it's uncomfortable or difficult, Lord, we will obey whatever you tell us to do. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.